0: Esther is an interesting book, for a number of reasons. But in part, because in all ten chapters, the name of God is never mentioned. Some scholars through the years have doubted its inclusion in the canonized Bible. Yet, just like in our times, God may not thunder his name from heaven, but causes us to know he exists in the way he is operating all around us. God may not be visible, but his presence certainly is. Join us today as we open the book of Esther for such a time as this. I would like to take a moment here and tell you a little story about myself. I want to tell you about when I was 15 years old. My family uh, went to church every single Sunday. My mother always woke us up when I was growing up. I didn't love church and I didn't hate church. It was part of the rhythm of life. It was as much a staple as Kellogg's cereal for breakfast. But one day when I was 15 years old, I thought, I'm 15. I don't need to go to church. Well, my mother called to me as usual, and when she noticed a few minutes later that I was not up gulping down Raisin Bran, she returned to my bedroom and reminded me that it was Sunday and I had to go to church. I remained deeply entwined in my comforter. She returned again a few minutes later, perplexed and angry. Joni, she commanded, get up. I'm not going, I stated, my voice muffled beneath the comforter. Well, my mom threatened and she pleaded and she invoked my sister's help. And my mom is the sweetest little thing, but I remember her being very mad, very anxious and even a little bit loud. But it was all to no avail. She finally grabbed my feet. She literally grabbed my feet and she tried to drag me out of the bed, which I thought was hilarious. I almost gave in just because my little mom was trying to drag me out of bed. But instead I clotted the sheets and I just held on. My mom finally gave up. I thought I won that battle, but the truth is, looking back now, I didn't win that battle at all. In fact, I lost. It would be many years before I'd be in church again. You'll see why I shared that story in just a moment, but first of all, let's go ahead and open up the book of Esther. Well, let's start uh, in Esther chapter one. If you have your Bible, bring it uh, on out, open it up to Esther one. When I discovered Esther, as a new believer, I fell in love with this book. It was so exciting to discover a Bible book that read like a true life fantasy. It's a page turner. It's full of twists and turns, and it reveals God's providence and presence, even in unexpected places. Well, one of those unexpected places is the castle in the Persian Empire. We're going to go back to about 450 B.C., the Jewish people are living in exile, and they are far away from their homeland of Jerusalem. Nonetheless, overall, they are treated well in this foreign, albeit heathen land. So we're going to start by reading uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahazurus, and this is Ahazurus, which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. He was a big shot. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Sushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants to the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. So the dude threw, threw a really big party. Let's go on to verse four. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people. So first, he treats all his, you know, special people that he sees and that work with him. But now he invites everybody. I mean, everybody. It says here that he made a feast unto all the people that were present in Sushan the palace, both great and small. And it went on for seven days in the court of the Garden of the King's Palace. So this garden ain't like, you know, a little fenced place out back where you raise radishes. You know what I'm saying? It's huge. There were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble. These are all luxurious items for those times. And they gave them drink and vessels of gold, and the vessels were each different from one another, and royal wine in abundance, according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel. You know, he didn't have to do it, but to go for it. For so the king had appointed all the officers of his house, that they should do according to every man's pleasure. I mean, this was a party, opulence and wealth. And what I relate to here is really America. We here in America are blessed beyond measure. Since the days of Solomon, has there been a nation where so many people had so much? And yet look around. Has our wealth made us better, more kind, more loving? Are we on the whole thankful in giving people because of all that we have? Have our four TVs, two cars, and smartphones made us happier and less stressed? Or, have riches caused some of us to become spoiled children stomping our feet and saying, I want a squirrel, daddy, get me that squirrel. Has it caused us to feel victimized at the mildest slight? Well, one of the things I think about, especially with Thanksgiving approaches, uh, that was a time in contrast to the wealth that we have today. The pilgrims, they lost half of their comrades to death Disease and death, that first terrible year on the East Coast. Yet, with but five kernels on each plate, they still showed gratitude to the King in heaven. Well, God blessed those five kernels on each plate, and it grew into an abundant harvest. One year later, they were leading a feast at, that they celebrated this abundance with the local Indian tribes. That's where our historical Thanksgiving comes from. And you know what? On that first Thanksgiving, on each plate, they placed five kernels, lest anyone forget how far God had brought them. Have we forgotten how far we've come? More importantly, have we forgotten who brought us this far? All right, let's look at verses 4 through 9 here. Well, we did 4 through 9. Let's go to 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry, yeah, you better believe it with all that wine, right? Uh, he commanded Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abag- Abag- Abagatha, something like that, Zithar and Karkas, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus, the king, to bring Vashti, the queen, before the king. Before there was Esther, there was Vashti. So he wanted to bring her with the crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. So here we have it. The king is merry with wine, and he tells his buddies, my wife is the best-looking girl in all the kingdom. You gotta see her. You gotta see her. You just gotta see her. Chamberlain's, bring that queen to me. Yeah, I know. He is not the most godly character ever dealt with. But there is a good king who desires beauty, and he desires your beauty. The God in heaven is enthralled with you. You're the joy and the pride of his heart. Look at uh, Psalm 45, verse 11. It says, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord. Worship thou him. God is yearning to be with you. He calls for you to draw near to him. He wants to talk to you. He wants to love on you. He wants to share secrets with you. And all you have to do is come. But what does Vashti do? It says in verse 12 that Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment. Therefore, the king was very wroth and his anger burned in him. I do not know what happened here, and a story in the Bible doesn't say why Vashti refused. Maybe she was about to lay down a seven-letter Scrabble word, and she had an X for the triple-letter score. Her and the gals may have been painting each other's nails, swapping recipes, but whatever the case, Vashti said no. The king called, and Vashti was too busy. Has the king of heaven called to you Is he calling to you like in Solomon saying, Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away? And there we lay with a little puddle of drool by our snoring selves, yanking the tighter, the covers tighter around us, refusing the call. That's like the story I told you earlier. When I said no, I thought it was only saying I didn't want to go to church. But I didn't realize until, well, until now, I was really telling God no no, I don't want to learn about you. I don't want to be with you. I'm busy, God. I was up late. Don't bother me. Well, that no meant a long period of silence from heaven. It was the beginning of me getting off the path of righteousness and wisdom and onto the rough road of rebellion and pain. My friend, it's time to say yes when the master calls. He's not calling to those special people out there, those intercessors and, you know, those godly ones. He's calling you. He loves you. How can we even begin a journey into a life of prayer, the kind of prayer that can save a nation, without first surrendering ourselves to the King, saying yes? Lord, I pray that today we will say yes. We'll examine our hearts. We'll examine our motives. Where we are unwilling, Lord, I ask that we'll take even that unwillingness and give it to you. Transform our no's into yes's that we might be transformed. Amen. Hey, I have some uh, questions. I got a little Bible study going down below. You can fill that out to meditate and think more about this lesson. I'm going to be back in two days. I'm going to be doing these Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So we we'll see you then. Meanwhile, say yes to God.